Hello and welcome to International In-Depth, the show where we feature study abroad students and learn a little bit more about the world around us. I'm your host, Mark Fearborn. I'm joined today by Maria Wellman, a student who took a trip to Colombia recently over winter break. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, thank you for being on the show today, Maria. Um, can you tell me, just to start out, a little bit about uh, your impression of Colombia before you made the trip? What, what did you know about it? I didn't have a whole lot of background information on Colombia before the trip. We were provided some uh, historical context for what our trip was going to cover in terms of the armed conflict. Um, but a lot of the impressions that I had myself and that I know a lot of other people had were based off of uh, media such as like Narcos. I know a lot of people associate Colombia with um, a lot of drug use and cartels and things like that and a very high violence area. Um, so that was just kind of the information that I had to go off of beforehand, which I was pleasantly surprised once I arrived. <laughs> well, well, if that was your first impression, uh, probably a very courageous person for making that trip. <laughs> but I'm glad that you were uh, proven uh, wrong about that uh, stereotyper. I guess you could say that Hollywood kind of has crafted up the, yes. the country. Um, so it said, you said that you visited quite a few different cities there. Uh, Cartagena, uh, Sincelejo, Pichilin, uh, Puerto Viejo. Um, can, let's just kind of start out by talking a little bit about um, the very tourist-oriented city, Cartagena. Uh, you said that um, you had a, that was kind of like the beginning of your trip? Yes. So okay. we arrived in Cartagena when we first got there. Um, that was, in terms of it being more tourist-oriented, um, there were a lot of people there that spoke English, and a lot of the shops and restaurants were still sort of Americanized. I know that when we went... Um, to one of the restaurants, they were actually playing American music, like mm -hmm. old rock and roll music at this restaurant. So that was really interesting. And a lot of the food um, was still pretty Americanized in terms of um, chicken and rice, hamburgers, things like that. So it was kind of a nice adjustment period for us, I think, um, especially for me, because I had never been out of the country before. I hadn't really left Kansas before. So um, it was kind of a big step for me. So it was nice to still have some of those familiarities with me when I arrived over there to start off with. Gotcha. And so um, when we talked about some of those restaurants being Americanized, you know, you mentioned the food. Um, were they taking U.S. dollars at all over there still? There were some places in Cartagena that did take U.S. dollars. Oh, wow. Um, a lot of the shops and street vendors that we came across some of them did take uh, American dollars. We did exchange most of our currency to pesos. So that was something that we also were beginning to get used to when we first got over there. Um, but it, it did help that Cartagena was familiar with tourists and could kind of help us out with that sort of thing. So, of course, given a recent topic in American media, uh, just in, in our culture in general, it's just been immigration and talking about uh, border security. Now, I know that, um, you know, if you hear from the president's perspective, there's a lot of dangers about South Americans. And, you know, they've really been painted in a way that probably they don't appreciate too much. You know, one thing that you might expect going into a country like that as an American is you might see some kind of hostility or perception that we don't like them. What was your real experience with uh, the people of Colombia as you were kind of coming in as somebody brand new there? 
what I thought was really interesting was that the people there weren't hostile towards us because we were American. Um, I think it just piqued their interest. Um, and they did ask us a lot of questions about our president and what we thought. And um, they asked us about some of the issues that they felt were going on. We did have, um, right off the bat, we had our taxi driver actually ask us about our president. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so that was that was interesting. He did only speak Spanish. Um, luckily, there were quite a few people on the trip that did speak Spanish. So we were able to kind of translate through them and kind of talk about our president. Uh, we did share some viewpoints on some of the outrageous things that he is up to. <laughs> Not to go too far in depth with that. Um, I feel like um, a lot of people that travel kind of get the look, you know, from the locals. They're like, oh, you guys are American. And mm -hmm. I know that I had some friends that had traveled to Paris before, and they said that a lot of people in Paris were really rude to them because they knew they were from America. So I'm really glad that we didn't have that same experience. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually went to Paris myself when I was studying abroad at Washburn, and um, you're right, there was some uh, hostility or just wariness, I think, of uh, tourists there. It's a, as you know, it's, Paris is a centralized tourist location. Um, there's a lot of people that think that, you know, the tourists there are just kind of there to get their own experience out of it. They're not really there to learn about the culture. But I think that once you uh, kind of showed them that you had an interest in their culture and you weren't just there to, uh, you know, affront yourself or your, or your American culture, I think they really warmed up. Would you say that you experienced that at all while you were in Colombia? We were very fortunate to be partnered with Sembrando Paz, which is an organization um, over there, actually in Cincelejo, which was the second uh, major city that we stayed in. Mm -hmm. And they work in community building and um, sort of social service um, aspects with uh, people who are victims of the armed conflict and just other communities to kind of form a bond between the people in those communities and get them to work together and just kind of be comfortable with who they're around and um, be able to work through things together. Um, so our intent there was already to learn about the culture. And so a lot of the people that we had planned to see and were associated with had already known that from the beginning uh, when we arrived. Um, aside from the people who were a part of the organization and the people that we had talked with and worked with, we did get a lot of attention just from the general community. Mm -hmm. um, we did look a lot different than a lot of the people over there, so it drew a lot of attention to us. And it's a very uh, macho culture, so we did get catcalled quite a bit. Oh, wow. um, there was no sort of physical aspect to it, of course, um, just a lot of a lot of verbalizing, which... We kind of thought was funny, but yeah, I wouldn't say that anybody was really hostile or kind of Not wary really of a us being there. Experience, yeah, you could say. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a that's really great to hear. It sounds like uh, you guys had a very pleasant experience, and that the locals were uh, very welcoming to you. Mm -hmm. um, would you say that as you moved deeper into the country, you saw more aspects of the armed conflict that happened in Colombia? Definitely, we definitely saw um, more things that impacted a little more in, in the smaller communities. Now, for those who don't know much about the armed conflict, would you be able to elaborate a little bit on that for them, just as a preface? Yes. Um, so just kind of a history summary here. Um, 
It began with the assassination of a political leader, I believe back in the 1960s. Um, and then there was obviously a lot of conflict between that event happening and um, the government's intervention. Um, a lot of people had gotten displaced. Um, so bigger corporations and um, farmers would come in to buy the land that nobody had been inhabiting for so long. So they would go ahead and buy it. And then um, eventually these people were wanting their land back and the government had promised them um, restitutions, which was a struggle because of course these people who bought it were like, well, we bought it. This is ours. And on the other side of it, it's them saying, you know, we were here before. And then because of all this violence that was happening, we had to leave. And now, you know, we're back. We're trying to, trying to build our community back up. So there was a lot of conflict over that. And a lot of community leaders had been assassinated because of um, groups that were trying to get their land back. And that's actually still happening. So I believe it was, there were, I want to say there were 10 community leader assassinations um, in the first month of this year. Um, when we were on our trip, they said that within the first week or so, there had been that many assassinations. So this, this started in the 1960s, and it's ongoing, as you said. Yes. Wow. That's crazy. And so these people are living under this kind of, you know, this is still ongoing to this day. Do you think that that has any uh, impact on their viewpoint of life? Um, I actually saw two different viewpoints, uh, which I thought was interesting. We had one of our kind of group facilitators that um, toured us around and made sure we got to everywhere on time and everything like and that. Safely, and yes, and she was very, very positive. She had a very positive outlook. Um, she was very hopeful that the government would intervene in the ways that they had promised. Um, and then we also spoke with a professor over there and he was a little more pessimistic. He didn't expect the government to do anything, whether they said they were going to or not. And he just didn't really see an end in sight for it because there are still, um, of course the government, and then you have the paramilitary groups that are on both sides of the conflict. So you have paramilitary groups for the government and then paramilitary groups um, fighting against them. So. so there's kind of a bit of a power struggle going on in that country today. Mm -hmm. you? Yes. Okay. And do you think that um, the way, do you think that these groups, do they shape the culture or the way that, you know, the, the way that the people interact with each other within that country? It's sort of a work in progress, I would say. Um, from what I experienced, a lot of the communities had been trying to work together and kind of rebuild what they had before a lot of the violence had began. I think mainly now it's a conflict between these smaller communities and the government because there have been a lot of things that the government has promised and said to them that just hasn't happened. You know, I feel like in the United States, there's a, some kind of a sense of security that you have. There's not really any kind of an armed conflict that goes on, you know, within the, our country. So what was it like coming from a country where you feel safe and secure every day to a country where 
you see this kind of thing happening? One of the things that we did discuss in one of our reflection groups that we had over there that I had brought up was um, the fact that I've never felt really insecure about my government in a general sense. Of course, things are going on now that are kind of wacky, but um, I've never felt like my government was out to get me or wasn't looking out for my best interests or um, things like that. And in Colombia, it seemed like their government was kind of working against them. And I could not imagine how that would feel. So it you, was, you it were was, on the side of the professor? Yeah. Okay. I, of course, wasn't there long enough and didn't experience that type of government long enough to maybe see some of the positive outlooks that um, our group facilitator saw. But I was kind of unsettled um, with potentially experiencing a government that wasn't supporting community building and um, supporting its citizens. So. And how long was your trip over to Columbia? It was 10 days. So January 2nd through the 12th. So very brief, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, we talked a little bit about uh, Cartagena, the mm-hmm. touristy city. Yes. And then we, we haven't really talked much about Sensilejo. That's the other city you visited? Yes. Okay. So how would you compare and contrast those two places? Because one, you said, was a very touristy environment. The other, not so much? Yes. So let's see. In Cartagena, of course, we discussed the restaurants and the street vendors and right. things like that. And then when we got to Sensilejo, it seemed a bit more authentic in a sense that there were a lot more locals there. So in Cartagena, you would run into a lot of tourists from other places, not a lot of people that actually lived in Cartagena. So when we got to Sensilejo, um, there were actually residents there um, that were there on a daily basis. Mm. And so that macho culture that I had talked about was more prevalent there because they were people that actually lived there and lived in that culture as opposed to Cartagena where you had other tourists who were from different cultures. Gotcha. So you weren't really experiencing the same thing. Okay. And how did the food compare? I mean, I know we said there was more Americanized food in Cartagena. Did you see something that was more um, uh, authentic in, in Sincelejo? Um, so in Sincelejo and around the other places in Colombia that we went, coconut rice was a really big thing. Oh, wow. Um, it was served at almost every meal. And then we also had a lot of plantains, which are like those giant bananas, you know, but not really bananas. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they use them in a lot of different ways. So we had some that were kind of sweet and a little squishier. And then they had also fried them into sort of like a hash brown potato thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really interesting how many different ways that they used that same item to make so many different things um the portions were also a lot bigger i don't think i was ever hungry while i was over there (laughs) wow (laughs) and we ate at least three times a day and it was really good the food was really really fresh we actually had one evening at sembrando pause where we were going to have um tuna sandwiches and we actually had to delay dinner just a little bit because they had been going out to the market to get the fish right before they had made it so Wow. 
quite an experience, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. uh, now, what would you say your main takeaways were from this trip? You said it was 10 days long, right? Yes. So, you know, this is kind of a brief synopsis into the, uh, the culture of Colombia, you know, how the people there act, what their everyday life is like. What would you say um, was your main takeaway from being there? And then what do you think you're going to go home and remember the most about being in Colombia? We had spoken with um, one man from Colombia that had been through quite a lot. Um, he had lost everything, family, his home, um, and he had rebuilt himself through Simrando Paws. And the amount of forgiveness and trust that he had in people after all those experiences was just truly inspiring. And so I think to myself, if he can forgive and trust people after what had happened to him, then I should be able to do the same things in my own life. Wow. Very inspiring. Well, Maria, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing a little bit about uh, the country of Colombia. Much appreciated. Yes, it was great being here. Thanks again. Thank you again for listening to uh, International In-Depth. Be sure to catch previous episodes of this show on our iTunes and Google Play podcast channels. And be sure to tune in for new episodes on Washburn Radio. This is Mark Fearborn. Thanks for listening.